and uh, of course, um, Janica's going to visit her mom, and we want to pray for her um, because she's going all the way to Birmingham to visit her family, and um, and we want to pray that she will have safe travels and that she will enjoy herself as a sacrifice for her to have moved from her family uh, to be here with us. But the number one reason why she did it is because she wanted to be saved. And God has blessed her in a mighty way, and we thank her for everything that she's doing uh, with our audio-video uh, ministry. And, of course, Pamela is away on her birthday uh, celebration um, somewhere in Gatlinburg, I think. And uh, when she sent my wife those videos, my wife said, I am not going there. <laughs> so you're all going to have to pray on her. <laughs> that because my wife, she's um, not too comfortable with that. So that's why we're having Bible class, not having it on Friday because they won't be here, but um, my daughter will be back on, on Saturday so that we can do our recording on Sunday because a lot of people look forward uh, to our recordings. A lot of people look forward to these Bible classes. There are some that uh, their Bible classes is, uh, they watch the Bible class during breakfast time and watch the Sunday morning services. So uh, we are blessing a lot of people. Can we say amen? Blessing a lot of people. Tonight I want to deal with a few things. And uh, we do know that the, um, the Supreme Court of the United States, according to report, is looking to overturn Roe versus Wade and make abortion illegal. And I believe uh, punishable with a felony by anyone that does perform it. And of course, Roe versus Wade goes all the way back to 1973, I think it was, that gave the right of a woman to have a choice whether or not she wants to continue her pregnancy or abort it. And of course, you have the two groups, pro-life and pro-choice, uh, on each side of the spectrum. And of course, people generally categorize themselves into one or the other. And it has become very political. Uh, and it seems like that those that uh, believe that they're right, God is with them. And those that are not right, the devil is with them. And, and I remember my pastor uh, um, uh, was in discussion with Bishop Charles Ellis on one occasion. And, and because Bishop Ellis is a Democrat and Bishop Combs is a Republican, and and uh, and uh, Bishop Ellis made a comment about uh, instead of Democrats, he said Democrats, <laughs> and uh, and of course Bishop Combs. Um, now I guess Bishop Combs used the term Democrats. Uh, said they, the Democrats are Democrats, and and then of course Bishop Ellis said Jesus sat down with the Republicans and the sinners. So it seems to be. It seems to be that people have their um, uh, particular views, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, or whether they're independent. I'm independent. Um, if I was to take a political stand, it would be independent, because I believe that there are some things that the Democrats promote are right, and there are some that they promote are wrong. And there are uh, Republicans, some things that they promote are right, and some things that they promote are wrong. Um, but wherever it may be, we should never allow society to determine our morality as the saints of God. 
And this has happened in many occasions because you have those that are in the church support Democrats and those that in the church support Republicans. Now, I'm not saying that is a sin if you want to support a Democrat or a Republican. That's your personal preference. But you do not allow the beliefs and practices of the Democrats or Republicans or society establish to you what is right and what is wrong. The word of God does that for us. Can we say amen? And so in dealing with this abortion issue, what does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say as far as when a um, fetus in the womb is a person? Uh, is it a person at conception? Is it a person at the stage of an embryo and all of these type of things. Now, this is what we're going to deal with tonight. It's not political. We're not getting political because I don't care anything about politics. Uh, we're trying to show you, we're not trying, we're going to show you what the Bible says and what we're supposed to believe based on the Bible because God is neither Republican or Democrat nor independent. He is a spirit. Can we say amen? And God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. And, of course, we do know that the pro-lifers and the pro-choices, they like to take the scripture and twist it up and try to make it seem like that um, uh, their view is based on the Bible when both groups are wrong. Both groups are at the extreme spectrum of each other. Both of them are wrong when it comes to what the Bible says. Uh, it is not a person at conception, and it is contrary to the scriptures to abort uh, any pregnancy um, when it involves killing a child, an unborn child. But the question is, when is it a person and when is it not a person? But we should never allow society, the world, determine to us what is right and wrong. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. We allow the scriptures to determine. And, of course, it's not how we, based on how we feel, I get people all the time that call me and text me and ask me, what do I think about this and what do I think about that? And I tell them what Bishop Paddock used to tell us, it don't matter what I think. What I think and what my opinion don't mean nothing, no more than anybody else. Now, if you want me to tell you what the Bible has to say about it, then I'll do that. And, of course, I was talking to a, a, a minister the other day on, on the phone, and, and um, he was asking about suicide and all these other types of things and, and talked about the thief on the cross, which doesn't apply because he repented before he died and, uh, and, and all these things. And he says, well, and after I gave him the scriptures and all that, he says, well, I'll just have to go back and, and, <laughs> and he was on the phone. I have to go back and research it myself. I said, well, you can go ahead and research what I just told you if you want to. Uh, he said, yeah, because I've been to seminary school and this one. I said, well, I've been to three Bible colleges and we studied 5,000 points of doctrine. I said, out of all of that, I couldn't use none of that when I go to pastor and teach God's people. I said, so a Bible college does not validate you as a minister. You have to sit under a pastor and be trained. That's how Jesus did it. Did not the apostles sit at the feet of Jesus? 
And then, of course, he sent them out. And then, of course, uh, Polycarp and Ignatius and uh, 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 Timothy and Titus and Sosthenes and Aquila and Priscilla, all of them sat under the apostles. And then they trained those underneath them all the way down. That's how truth is handed down. It's God's way of handing down truth. And, of course, we know that all of the apostles were not educated with the exception of Apostle Paul. But they did take note of one scripture. It said they were ignorant, unlearned men, but they did take note that they had been with Jesus. And I want somebody uh, to take note that I've been with Jesus. And being with Jesus has nothing to do with how much education you got in a Baptist seminary. Can we say amen? That does not, that does not matter. That does not validate one uh, as a minister. But I told him, I said, if you want to go and study all these subjects, uh, this subject we're talking about, sin, you can. I said, but by the way, sin is mentioned about 450 times in the Bible if you're going to study it. I said, so you're going to have to look up the word sin. It's in the Bible about 450 times, and you're going to have to go through every one of those verses, and you're going to have to note the subjects, the subsubjects. The prepositions, the capitalizations, the subject, the people speaking, the people he's speaking to, the place where he's speaking from, the nouns, pronouns, adjectives, and all of that. And I said, you ain't going to do that in the day. And then I said, good luck. I guess I thought about the movie Taken, good luck. But, uh, <laughs> but there's no such thing as good luck. But these, this is how you study the Bible. You just don't take one verse out of the Bible and express how, you, how it feels to you. That's not, that's relativism. The Bible is not relative. That means it does not mean one thing to one person and something else to somebody else. The Bible is absolute. God says what he means and what? Means what he says. Can we say amen? So let's look at this first of all. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And I want to talk about the resurrection tonight if we have time. Um, but let's deal with this first of all. Uh, let's see what the Bible has to say. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse number 23. And um, because the scripture speaks on all these. Now, we do not support abortion. Abortion uh, is not supported in the scriptures. When I say abortion, I'm saying abortion in killing a child in pregnancy. Because when you study the word killing and murder in the Bible, murder and killing in the Bible has to do with the killing of a whole being. Now, what is a whole being? Well, we're going to show you what a whole being is. First Thessalonians chapter number one. Now, of course, I do know that there are those that abuse the privilege of abortion and knew a woman that had six kids and she had six abortions and uh, the last child she was pregnant with she was going to abort it this was a relative of mine and I said if you abort that child me and you are through we will never be as I will never associate with you again and of course she did not abort that child and that child was born and got saved and um, said he was called to the ministry and so uh, we do not support abortion. Now, of course, I define that we do not support killing of a child in the womb of a mother when it is a whole person. 
Um, but when it gets into contraceptives and all these type of things, those things are not a sin. Now, the real reason why people are upset, if you have followed, uh, as I followed, is that Justice Alito went on record saying that they were outlawing, they wanted to outlaw abortion because it's not in the Constitution. And so this has caused many to get upset because gay marriage is not in the Constitution. And so many of those that are gay and that uh, support gay marriage feel that if this law passed, it is a threat to gay marriage. And that's the real reason why people are upset. (laughs) That's the real basis of it. But you see, if they do pass it, I want you to know, these are seeds of the end time. Because what they're going to be saying is that the government will get involved or it will be illegal for a woman to choose to end her pregnancy which means that the government will have oversight over that. And as we get closer and closer to the rapture, the government is going to be more and more intrusive. And it has to happen because when the Antichrist come, he's going to have a law that everybody is to take his mark. And if no one takes it, they can't buy or sell and they will be executed. So as we see this thing happening before our eyes, these are seeds that will grow to the point to where the government will demand everybody at the command of the Antichrist to bow down and worship him. See, this is what's going on. The devil don't care nothing about abortion. He don't care nothing about gay rights. He wants to destroy this world. He wants to destroy God's people. Can we say amen? That's what it's all about. Um, but let us look at First Thessalonians and I should say this, no marriage should be um, done with the couple deciding that there be no children. Now, if it is the case of a blended family, that's different because there's already children. But there's three purposes of marriage in your Bible. And one of them is to bear children. That's the purpose of marriage. Why do you think God told, said it was not good for the man to be alone? Talking about who? Adam. Because God gave Adam or man five purposes. There's five purposes of man. One of them was to be fruitful and do what? Multiply. And he could not do it by himself. And so eventually he made a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of who? Man. And so uh, that's the purpose of marriage. So any couple getting married that doesn't have any children, it is contrary to the scriptures to arrange a marriage with the um, conclusion that there be no children because of what the Bible says the purpose of marriage is. All right, and um, we want to establish that fact. Now let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Let's read. We all have it, let's read. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, wholly, completely, right? Let's read. And I pray God your whole spirit 
and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why, where we understand that man is a trichotomy, which means that man has a body, a soul, and a spirit. And they all developed differently during the time of the pregnancy. So um, keep in mind then that the soul is the eternal part of us that's created by God in the womb of our mother. And we'll show you that as we go along. The body is the house that the soul lives in. And that body has life in it, which is the spirit. And this is the reason why that when a person dies, they die because life leaves out of the body. The Bible says the body without the spirit is what? Dead, because the spirit is the life of the body. Now understand then that um, you are a soul, I am a soul. The soul has a house that it lives in. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible calls our body, our earthly house, this tabernacle. Why is it called it a house? Why is our body called a house? Because the soul lives in it. And that body has to have life. And that is the spirit of life that is in that body. And when a person dies, they don't die of a heart attack or cancer or anything like that. The Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. God calls the spirit of life out of that body. And that spirit of life goes back to God, the life giver, and becomes a part of God again. Just like when you're outside and it's cold out and you see your breath. Your breath, where does your breath go? Right into the atmosphere and becomes part of the air. Well, that's what happens to our spirit. The life goes back to the life giver. God is the source of all life. Can we say amen? This is why the Muslims uh, uh, like to say that um, everybody has the spirit of God in them because you have the spirit of life. No, that is the spirit of life for mankind. That's not the Holy Spirit of God that brings about holiness. That is the spirit of God that brings life into our bodies. And it comes into the body at a certain time. Uh, so, but we just want to show you this scripture to establish the fact that man, Paul says, I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, what? Blameless before the coming of the Lord. So man is a trichotomy. We, have a, we are a soul that lives in a house called the body, and that house has life in it called the spirit. Now, when we die, the spirit leaves or life leaves the body. And eventually, the body goes back to its original state. From dust thou art unto dust what? Shall thou return? And then the soul goes to sleep and will be resurrected one day. See, when the resurrection takes place, the bodies are not coming out of the graves. What's going to come out? The soul is going to come out. And when the soul comes out, God's going to give it a body, not like our human body, but it will be a body that will be eternal that will never die. And so understand then that 
um, when we die, life leaves the body, the spirit goes back to God, the body falls down, eventually goes back to its original state, and the soul goes to sleep until the time of the resurrection. You see, you don't die and go straight to heaven. That does not happen. A lot of people misunderstand that, and a lot of preachers are misleading people. There was a bishop whose wife died, and uh, he laid by her casket all night, praying, wanting God to raise her up. And so when they had the funeral the next day, uh, during the funeral services, he stood up to the podium, and um, he said he prayed, and God spoke to him and said, don't cry, don't worry, she's in heaven with me looking down on you. And he felt a lot better. Now, he felt better. He felt encouraged. But it wasn't God. Even though he felt a lot better. Because one scripture says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled where? In heaven. And one scripture says, When we're unfaithful, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. What does that mean? He cannot deny his word. Whatever God has said in his word, he's got to abide by that because he is the word. Can we say amen? And the scripture says the dead knoweth not anything. I believe it is in the book of Ecclesiastes. The dead knoweth not anything. He said the dead cannot praise thee. The death cannot celebrate thee. The dead know not anything. Neither have they any more portion in this life that is under the sun. So, uh, if a person died and went straight to heaven, what are you going to do about a resurrection? Because a resurrection means to come back from the dead. Now, of course, we should also realize um, that, um, you know, there are those that believe in reincarnation. And reincarnation is not true because the word of God says they have no more part in this life. You see, whenever we go to sleep, we acting out death, if you didn't know it. Because from this standpoint, from this standpoint, when you go to sleep, while you are asleep, you have no realization of the passage of time, do you? You only realize the passage of time when you wake up. Then you realize how much time has passed. So that is similar to death. When we die, the body goes to its original state of a process of time. The life of the body goes back to the life giver and the soul goes to sleep and has no realization of the passage of time, doesn't know anything that's going on around them or in the world until the time resurrection. You see, who was the first one to die in Christ in the entire Bible? Well, he's one of the sons of Adam. Somebody says, we're all the sons of Adam. <laughs> How about Abel? Abel was the first one to die in Christ. He was the first martyr of the Old Testament in Christ. Stephen was the first in the New Testament. And of course, we know what happened to Abel. Cain took a club and beat him to death. Is that right? Well, he's been asleep now for nearly 6,000 years. When the rapture takes place, he will wake up and then will have no realization of the passage of time, just like we experience that when we lay down and take a nap or go to sleep at night. Y'all with me so far? 
So that's how it's going to be. God always has a type and a pattern and a shadow of things that, um, that are spiritual. He, he, he deals with patterns. And whenever we go to sleep, we are not aware of what's going on around us. We're not aware of what's going on anywhere. We have no realization of the passage of time until we wake up. And what do we do when we wake up? I don't know what you do. The first thing I do is look at the clock and say, thank you, Jesus, and look at the security cameras. Can we say amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know why? Because I don't know what's going on out there, but he knows. Is that right? All right. So we just want you to see that the scripture lets us know, and it backs science. Uh, or should we say, is that right? Back science or science backs the scriptures? Well, whichever way you want to put it. Man is a body, man is a trichotomy. He is a soul that lives in a house called his body, and that house has life in it. Now, when does life begin? Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. Genesis chapter 2. That's been a conflict among the pro-lifers and pro-choice because some say it is a person at conception and all these other types of things, and none of that is true. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7. All right, Genesis 2 and 7. Now we're going to look at when God made Adam. All right. And we will point out the differences of, of Adam and, and us as far as when we came into existence. So Genesis 2, verse 7. Let's read. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now he formed him. That's his body. So what is he at that point? He's just a dead body, a body with no life in it, just a body. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life, that's when he got his spirit and man became a what? He became a living soul. He was not a living soul before, but when the body was formed from the dust of the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he became a what? Living soul. So you have a body there, you have the breath of life, which is a spirit, and it created the soul. So the soul is created when life enters into a body. That's when the soul is created. And when that happens, you have three parts. Body, soul, and what? Spirit. And that's what the Bible teaches when it is a person, when it has those three components. Now, if it does not have a soul, keep in mind at the time of the resurrection and those that stand before God on judgment, John said in Revelation chapter 20, I saw the souls of them, not their bodies or their spirit, but their what? Soul, the eternal part of them that was created by God while we were yet in our mother's womb. Now, Adam was a little different because he was created a full-grown being. And Adam took his first breath when he got his spirit. When God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life that was his spirit, that's when he took his first breath. But when it comes to us in our mother's womb, we get our spirit first. We take our first breath when we come out of our what? Mother's womb. 
So it's different with us because we were born of a woman. He was not. Neither was Eve. And of course, it was different with Adam. It's different with us. And it's different with Jesus. When Mary gave birth to Jesus, all three of these were unique and different. All right. And so I want you to realize then that the Bible's letting us know that the soul is created when the spirit enters into a body. And doctors have estimated that happens anywhere between as early as the third and as late as the fifth month of pregnancy. Now let's go to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number one. Let's see how it happens with us. Zechariah, next to the, la- next to the last book of the Bible, chapter 12 And verse number one. Now, you may remember all of these when we taught the subject body, soul, and spirit. But then again, you may have forgot some things. Zechariah chapter 12, verse number one. All right. And Jonica, you might want to turn the recording level up higher on the recording if you can, if you know how. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12. Recording level on the stream. Verse number one. All right. If we have it, let's read. The burden of the word of the Lord of Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. He didn't say forms the body or the soul. Formeth the spirit of man where? Within him, within him. And so it's like this. When the pregnancy begins, the egg, the seed fertilizes the egg of the ovum in the womb of the mother. The gestation process begins. There's a growth. That growth develops into an embryo. The embryo through time develops into a fetus. And once it develops into a fetus and has all of its parts, That's when God forms a spirit inside of that fetus and the soul is created because the soul is created when life enters into a body or when the spirit enters into a body, the soul is created. Just like Adam, God formed him out of the dust of the ground. Then he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life and man became what? A living soul. And so God creates the soul in the womb of the mother. And they estimate it as early as three and the fifth month of pregnancy. And that's when he forms that spirit inside of that fetus. And that's when the mother says, I feel life. Because it is now has a body, a spirit, and a what? Soul. Now, if it is aborted, it's murder because that soul is eternal even though that it has not yet been born yet it was created by god and if if it if uh, if, if if it is aborted and killed that soul will stand before god because it is a person and it is something that he created before that time before it has a spirit before it is a soul 
it is not a person. Because if the soul of man is to be saved through salvation, and if the soul of man is to be judged before God, then if it is not a soul, then there's nothing to judge. There's nothing to save. Our souls are saved. Is that right? So, if the mother decides to abort the pregnancy before that time, how can it be a murder? Because killing a person in the Bible is an individual that has a body, soul, and a what? Spirit. So they both got it wrong. You know why? Because their concepts is not biblically based. So um, this is what the Bible is teaching. Now, y'all with me so far? Or did I lose you? Y'all just got quiet on me, did you? Ezekiel chapter 18. Verse 1 through 4. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. This might not be according to your views, but it's in the Bible now. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Now, again, no couple should get married that have no children with the idea of not to have children because as we told you the three purposes of marriage one of them is to bear children another one is to prevent fornication and the other one is to enrich your life those are the biblically three purposes of marriage all right ezekiel chapter 18 verse 1 through 4 now, you might never heard this before but it's in the, been in the bible the whole time all right let's read where the Lord came unto me again, saying, this is Ezekiel. What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, what they were saying was that the children's condition was blamed on the father. That the children were suffering because of the sins of the father. Now, God did use to visit the sins of the father upon the children until the third and fourth generation. If a child was a bastard, and that's a biblical term, he could not be accepted in the congregation of Israel up to the 10th generation. And that was what the law was. But Israel was using that as an excuse to sin and using it as an excuse for their deplorable condition in the sight of God. So God's about to change that. Let's read verse number three. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Now he's going to change it. Let's read verse four. Behold, all souls are mine. Who does the soul of man belong to? How about the soul that is created in the womb of the mother? How dare they take that life? Of course, Sister Shorter gave a testimony. We thought it was profound day Bible class. She said her last child, Ryan, she was carrying him, and the doctors were letting her know that she needs to abort that pregnancy because she will die. And she said in the first trimester, they tried to get her to do it, second trimester, third trimester. And she just said, well, if he die, we just go together. We're going to put it in the Lord's hand. And God came through. <laughs> Can we say amen? 
And he's one of the most well-mannered of all of the children that they have, the youngest boy, Ryan. So they, wouldn't it be something that more people put their situations in the hand of God? And that's what she did. And they're both living and living good. Praise the Lord. So all souls belong to who? God. And God's going to get these folk that are doing these things. Again, if they terminate it before it is a person, then it's just part of the growth of their body. It's just a part of a growth in the process of developing in the body. Well, somebody liked to use the scripture in Jeremiah that said, when Jeremiah said, before I was formed in the belly, you knew me, um, you know, and all those type of things. Yes, that's true, but you can't use Jeremiah as an example because Jeremiah was born and lived to be a full-grown man. So you can't use that. That's out of context. But all the souls belong to God. Now somebody say, well, what if I die and I get cremated? Because when you die, the spirit, the life of the body goes back to God according to the scriptures. And the soul goes to sleep in the body till the time of the resurrection. And of course that body is put in the grave and then when the time of the resurrection comes, God calls that soul out of the grave. But somebody says, well, what if I get it cremated? What if I cremate myself or get myself cremated? What, what, where's the soul then? I don't know where it is, but I know who does. God knows, is that right? Because he said all souls are whose? Mine, let's read, as the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, of course, we tell you the body dies when the spirit goes back to the life giver. The body falls down, no life in it. The soul goes to sleep. So what does he mean here when he says the soul that sinneth, it shall die? He's talking about eternal death. He's not talking about natural death eternal death and the eternal death of the soul is when the soul has been banished in judgment day in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone separated from God for all eternity that's the death of the soul it is an eternal death the soul is eternally dying never being able to come to the end of death that's why it's called eternal death can we say amen? So this is what God says. The soul belongs to him. All souls are his. Now, of course, we talked about how Adam was formed. He, uh, God formed him, breathed his nostrils, breath of life. He became a living soul. Uh, we understand that God forms the spirit of man within him during the early stages of that pregnancy. Soul is created. Now it is in three parts. Body, soul, spirit. What about Jesus? Well, let's go to Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter one. Now Jesus, his was different than ours and different than Adam. Luke chapter one and verse 30 through 35. Luke one. Verse 30 to 35. So somebody says, well, what will happen to all those abortions that were done when 
it was a soul. We'll show you that in the book of Jeremiah. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 35. Then we're going to jump over to verse 39 through 45. All right, so this is Mary receiving the word from the angel. Let's read. All right, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name what? These are the seven prophecies that Gabriel gave to her. Have I taught on that here yet? Seven prophecies of Gabriel. Number one, you shall conceive in thy womb. Number two, and bring forth a son. All right. And shall call his name what? Jesus. All right. Then number three, verse 32, let's read. He shall be great. That's number three. And shall be called the son of the highest. That's number four. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father who? David. That's number five. Verse 33. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's number six. And of his kingdom there shall be what? Seven prophecies that Gabriel gives to her concerning Jesus. Now, of course, she was around 14 years old, just past the flower of her age at this time. Verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She was a virgin. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing. What was it? A holy what? Thing shall, which shall be born of thee shall be called the what? It was a thing. Now, let's put it to you. Let me explain to you how it happened. Again, when Adam was formed, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a what? Living soul. When it comes with us, when the fetus was fully developed, according to Zechariah 12 and 1, God forms a spirit inside of that fetus, and the soul is created. But with Jesus, it did not happen that way. Because God spoke the word, and by his spirit fertilized the egg or the ovum in Mary's womb, and the pregnancy began, the gestation process began, there was a growth, that growth developed into an embryo, the embryo developed into a fetus, but instead of God forming a spirit inside of that fetus, he got in it himself, because God is a what? Spirit. That's why the Bible says, God, in Acts chapter 2, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. How did he do that? When he got inside of that fetus in Mary's womb, when it was fully developed, he was Christ the Lord then because God was in Christ. That is, he was in that body. He didn't have the form of spirit. He got in it himself. So you see, it was completely different. Can we say amen? An amazing thing. Mary is being told that God is going to be in your womb inside of a fetus that will be formed in your body and at the same time still sitting on the throne as your God. So you will give birth to a thing 
but God is going to be inside of it, which is going to be your son. But at the same time, he will be in on the throne, filling all space and time. So he's going to be your son and your God at the same time. How was he Mary's son? Because she gave birth to the thing, not to God. She's Mary is not the mother of God. She gave birth to a thing. And God stepped into that fetus himself as the spirit and as the soul and came forth just like any other child that was born. Can we say amen? So it was completely different with him. So the point we want to make here uh, as we close, well, uh, let, let's read on. We're not finished. All right. Uh, shall be called the son of God. Verse 36. Verse 36. No, no, no. Let's jump down to verse 39. I'm sorry. All right. And Mary rose, arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah. She got up and traveled 81 miles to see her cousin Elizabeth. Verse 40. And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with what? Now, she was carrying John the Baptist, and she was six months pregnant. It was a person at that point, because when she heard the salutation of Mary that was going to give birth to the Son of God, the babe did what? Leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with what? The anointing came upon Elizabeth, overshadowed her, touched John in the womb, and he leaped for joy. Let's read on. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Verse 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. See, she had to believe what the angel what? Told her. And she believed. Blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from who? From the Lord. Can we say amen? Now, you might be saying, well, the scripture says Elizabeth calls her the mother of my Lord. And she most certainly was the mother of her Lord. But if you look at the word Lord, how it is spelled, it's spelled capital L, small, small O, small R, small D. That had to do with the manifestation of God, which was that body that God had made Christ the Lord when he got into it. If it had a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, then you would have to say then that she was the mother of God. But the Lord here is translated God's manifestation. And who was that? What's his name? I just want y'all to say it because I wanted to hear it. Praise the Lord. Now, what's going to happen to those fetuses that had life in them. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And I think we'll, we, I think we'll close with this.
let you out a little early. I'm a nice pastor, am I? Now watch, we let y'all out early and y'all still hang around to about nine o'clock. I, I enjoy see the saints hanging around after church fellowship and I really do. I enjoy that. This is a prophecy during the time of Jesus and it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter two, verse 16 through 18, when Herod slew all of the children two years old and under. All right, now... These were children already born, true, but they were souls also. And so what we're talking about, that if an abortion is done, when it has a body, soul, and spirit, just like these children have, God's going to have to do something with those souls that were killed before they were even born. You follow what I'm saying? So, uh, because the soul in the womb is innocent. Just like these children, two years uh, old and under, were innocent. So, the question is, what happens to the innocent children that are killed? Hmm. Jeremiah prophesied that it would happen, and it did. Let's read verse 15, see what the Bible says. Let's read. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping, Rahul weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were not Rahul. In the New Testament, it says Rachel represents those mothers whose children were killed by Herod. She weeping for her children, weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. What is her work? The child that was killed. Let's read. How will they be rewarded? Let's read. Saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Well, if they're going to come again, they're going to come back again. Where are they going to come to? Verse 17. And there is hope in thine end. Yes, you lost your children, but there's still hope. Saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. He's talking about the border of the new earth. That when the white throne of judgment is set up and John said, I saw the souls, small and great, stand before God. All of those children that died in infancy, died innocent, even were aborted um, by, uh, aborted when they were a living soul in the mother's womb, even before they were born, will be judged innocent and be placed on the new earth. That's what God's going to do. And this is what the prophet is prophesying to those women that their work is going to be rewarded. They're going to come again. They will be resurrected in the second resurrection and judge righteous and placed on the new earth and be part of the earthly seed here on the new earth. All right. We just wanted to show you what the Bible has to say about these things. 
Don't let Republicans and Democrats and uh, pro-life and pro-choice or anybody out there in the world shape and mold to you what is true. Let the word of God do it. Can we say amen? Believe the word of God because it is in there. All right, now we want to talk about the resurrection a little bit, um, but we're going to let you go. But I just want to give you this, that um, the resurrection um, is in three different classes. There is a good resurrection. I taught on this here, I think, four years ago when I first came. There's a good resurrection. There's a better resurrection. Then there's the best resurrection. And the scripture makes a distinction between these three. Now, uh, in Hebrews chapter number 11, we're not going to go there because I'm going to let you go. And verse 35, it mentions that some were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. And then there's the best resurrection. Now, you may say, well, what is the good resurrection? The good resurrection will be at the white throne of judgment when everyone that lived and died from Adam's day on will be judged. Judged according to their works. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. 25th chapter of Matthew, verse 31 through 46. Naked and you clothed me. They would be judged based upon how they treated their fellow man out of every denomination, out of all the people in the world. Many of them will be judged righteous and placed on the new earth as part of the earthly seed that God promised Abraham that he will have an earthly seed and he will have a heavenly seed. That's a good resurrection. And they will live on the earth and they will populate according to the 65th chapter of Isaiah and have children and the earth will be what God intended the Garden of Eden to be before Adam sinned. That's a good resurrection, isn't it? Then there is a better resurrection than that, that when the rapture takes place and many of the sincere people in denominations throughout this world Whatever denomination there is, even in, in among Islamics, Islam, that are honest and sincere before God and live in all of the truth that they know, that if they knew about the apostolic message, they would be here with us. But they're not because they don't know. All they know is what they've been taught. Well, they will miss the rapture because to be in the rapture, you have to be born of water and what? Spirit. And many of them will take a stand in the tribulation period because they will realize that the apostolic folk had the truth all along and we missed it. Many of them will take a stand for God. They will not take the mark of the beast. They will be killed and die and will be resurrected and will be in heaven and part of the heavenly seed. That's a better resurrection than the good. Would you agree with that? Then there's the best resurrection. Those of us in the Old Testament and then those of us in the New Testament that died in Christ. Those that have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost in the New Testament and those in the Old Testament that looked toward that but died before they could get it 
when the rapture takes place, we will have the best resurrection because we will be the bride of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at, but we don't have time. But just to let you know, we are in line for the best. Can we say amen? I don't want nothing but the best. Well, you got it. Hold on to what you got. And we get the best. Whatever God has, it's for you. The best is for you. You and you. I'm trying to think of the rest of it as I make it up as we go along. But we're going to dismiss tonight. Are there any, thank you for your patience. Are there any questions? Any questions tonight? God bless you. Thank you. Yes, we have one. Will the babies that got aborted know that their mom aborted them? They will know at the white throne of judgment. They will know because they will be resurrected. They will have a glorification about them and they will know things then that they didn't know now. I heard a Baptist preacher um, was preaching and he had a quite a good imagination. Um, not true, but he said the aborted babies are going to be at the white throne of judgment. They're going to say, Lord, I would have been a preacher, but I didn't have a chance. I would have been a singer for you, but I didn't have a chance. Now, that ain't going to happen, but it sounded pretty good. <laughs> Got the people shouting, but there's no truth to it whatsoever. All right, God bless you tonight. We're going to prepare to take our offering and be dismissed. Thank you for your patience tonight. What a wonderful Savior, isn't he? Amen. Wonderful Savior.